Okay, we are in Daniel chapter 3, and last week we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fire, and how God delivered them from that fire. We're going to pick it up again in Daniel chapter 3, verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded, and he stood up in haste, and he said to his high officials, Was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king, he said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies, bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper, in the province of Babylon. So we see that, that uh, um, God moved yet again on King Nebuchadnezzar. He moved on, on King Nebuchadnezzar in the last chapter, where we see that Daniel was able to not only interpret the dream, but give him understanding of, uh, give him, recite to him exactly what the dream was. And now again, this tremendous, powerful witness. But remember that this is a little bit different test upon Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego because they have a decision. There's a decision in this. In chapter 2, they didn't have a decision. He was going to kill all the wise men of Babylon and they prayed that they wouldn't fall into that and God gave the answer. In this one, they could easily get out of it by, by uh, just bowing down to this idol. And so you see that, that there's this profound witness upon Nebuchadnezzar because of this. And, and, uh, but still, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't turn, but he is deeply impressed by this. He's deeply impressed by these people, that, by these three men that did not bow to his God. We talked about last time how there, there are three things in the New Testament where we, can, we, we are actually prompted to have civil disobedience, and that's when it has to do with the protection of imminent human life, when it has to do with preaching the gospel and accepting the Lord. If there are government authorities that say that we shouldn't preach the gospel or accept the Lord, we might have to do it more discreetly, but we are still to do it. We are still to protect human life. We see those things. But here, they made a decision not to bow down. And our lives are surrounded by decisions. So what I wanted to do is just reflect a little bit on that. Decisions that we might make in our going along as believers, what are decisions that we might make that might cause us 
to stand somewhat differently, stand somewhat differently in the ways that we would, we would work in our careers because each of you has a career that you'll be m- moving into and you have to make decisions in that career, how you will speak, how you will act, the ways in which you will, you will uh, uh, speak to people and, and you'll make decisions in that. So I want to turn to John chapter 12 because Jesus actually has for us some instruction in that. So if you turn to John chapter 12, And it says in John chapter 12, verse 25, He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, the Father will honor him. Do you want to know what is the best thing that you can do for your career? It is serve Jesus. Imagine, he says, the Father, Jesus says, my Father will honor you if you serve me. My Father will honor you. This is God of heaven and earth, the creator of all the universe, says that he will cast honor upon you if you serve Jesus. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were raised up in that kingdom because of their stance to follow the Lord. This is the best thing that you can do for your career, is follow the Lord. I have the the good fortune of working around many very smart people from around the world. I work with many very smart people. And I'm thinking of, of, of people in particular. Two people in particular are in my mind. It's not worth mentioning them. You wouldn't know them. Probably not many of you would know them anyway. But two men. One of them serves Jesus and loves the Lord the, and, and uh, is a very learned man. The other one does not serve Jesus, does not love the Lord, and a very learned man. So both of them are learned men. But I look at the lives of both of them. Academically, they have both excelled. But when I look at their lives, one of them, the one who serves the Lord, has it all together. I've met him. I've talked with him. I've met his daughter. I've seen his family. And I've seen what it's like. And he is like the rock of stability. The other man, in a very similar field doesn't serve the Lord, and his life is an utter mess. He's gone from marriage to marriage, relationship to relationship. Though he's a very learned man, just so much around his personal life has fallen apart. This is what I see. But also, I have seen where God will elevate careers because of service to Jesus. Because of service to Jesus, God elevates careers. When I first started as an assistant professor, I started putting these verses on my exams, and I've told you this story before. And, and uh, um, what happened was one day, one day uh, um, I, also, I also took my testimony, which is up on my website now. But before there were websites, so this is before the internet, pre-internet days. Those days existed at one time. And, and uh, so, so after the final exam, 
So there was an undergraduate final. The first time I taught a big undergraduate class, I wrote my testimony on a sheet of paper. I typed it all out in a small font, one page testimony, and I went to Kinko's and I ran off the copies and I kept the receipt to show that the copies were made not on the university copier, but at Kinko's. I took that and after giving the organic final, so I, I handed out the final and then I also left the, the, a stack of, of my testimonies on, on the front table there and I said, this is something from me to you, I told the class. I said, you can pick this up if you like. It's entirely optional and it even said at the top, optional, not class related. And I said, you can pick it up if you like. It's just a gift from me to you. And so they took their organic exam, and then afterward, you know, many of them came and they picked it up, and they walked away with copies of this thing. Well, you know how organic chemistry is. Not everybody does well. <laughs> and, and some people do not well enough that they feel kind of uh, upset about the whole semester's ordeal. So they actually turned it over to the administration. So, so I got a call from the dean that I was to go see him. And so I went to see him, and he said that, that this, one of these uh, little testimonies had worked its way up to the provost's office. So the provost is right under the president, and the provost had contacted the dean to do the dirty work to talk to me about this. So we're sitting, we're sitting in, uh, I'm sitting in the, in the, uh, in the office with the dean, dean and, and he says, Jim, you know, you may have violated the law. The, the university attorneys have looked at this and that you may have violated the law. I said, Jerry, I am sure that I have not violated the law. Your attorneys are in error here. I said, this was a gift from me to them. It was optional. Look at it. It says right there, it's optional. They took it if they wanted it. And so we got to talk. And he says, Jim, look, you know, I believe like you do. I said, oh, you do. I said, what, what is it you believe? And uh, he says, I, I believe very much like you do. I said, you know, do you, do you believe that, that uh, God has created us? He says, yes, I do. I said, do you believe that God has a special place for us? He says, yes, I do. I said, so isn't that interesting? That here you are, the dean of the College of Science and Math, and here I am, a chemistry professor, and we can agree about this in your office, but we can't say it outside of your office. Don't you find that fascinating? And so... so uh, he said, okay, all right, he says, we, we've had enough here, and, and that was it. And, and then I, I met with the university attorneys who apologized to me because they said, you're right, you did not violate the law. And then I had invited the president over my home for dinner, and I was just a young assistant professor, and, and I know assistant professors don't normally do that, and I invited him over. At the time, I only had two small daughters, and my colleagues found out the president was coming over for dinner. Now, the president's a pretty high-level person, <clears throat> and, my, and one of my colleagues said to me, why didn't you just start with, like, the department chair and work your way up? Why did you go right up to the president? Another one said to me, what you should do is you should dress your daughters in rags and say, well, I'm sorry, this is the best I could do on what I'm getting paid. <laughs> but anyway, the, 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 the president came with his wife, and they spent the evening with us, and he said, you know, I've never been invited to somebody's home like this, who's at the university, just for a quiet evening. I'm invited to events and parties. He says, this is wonderful. And, and I remember the girls were, were, were delighted with him because they were collecting starburst 
candy wrappers. Remember Starbursts? And they were collecting the candy wrappers for something, but I told them they couldn't just pull the wrappers off, and it was only when they could have ate them, and this was only a couple times a day, but the president kept eating Starbursts, and they kept collecting his wrappers. But then what I did is I, I, I went and I, I uh, brought to him some testimonies, not of mine, but of things that had been written to me. This was during the first Gulf War, so this was in 1991, and, and back then there were a lot of students who used to be in the National Guard. The National Guard, you would go one weekend a month, and two weeks sometime during the summer, and you'd get a lot of money. And people, students used to join the National Guard all the time. But when the first Gulf War came, what did they do? They pulled the National Guard and they sent them over to the Middle East and they sent them to Kuwait on the invasion of Kuwait. So several of the students in the university were shipped out. And, you know, they were coming to me and were like, we can't believe this. We just signed up for the National Guard and now we've got to go fight this war. Well, anyway... So they're in the invasion in Kuwait, and so what I did is I took the final exam, and I sent it to them, and it had a little verse at the top, like I put on all my exams. And several of the guys had written back to me, that they, when, they, when they sent the exams back into me, they said, you know, here we are, sitting in, in, in this hole in Kuwait, and the thing that is encouraging us the most is the verse that you put on the final exam." And I had the president read that. And the president read these letters from these guys. He said, I want you to know something. I want you to continue to do exactly what you are doing. And I became very good friends with him as a result of this. Very good friends. And, uh, and, and um, what happened is, immediately I was brought up, I was elevated because of this stand for Jesus. I have seen this with my own eyes. Here I was, an assistant professor, very busy. You're always wondering, am I going to be successful? Is this thing going to work out? Am I going to be successful? And, and you see so many people in academics, 50% of the people in academics never get tenure, at least in the sciences. That's the way it is. And so, so there's a lot of pressure there. And shortly after I arrived, I said, I've got to be involved in a ministry, not only where we go into church. And so I got involved with a um, prison ministry, and every Monday I was in the prisons doing ministry. Every Monday night, that's where I was. And so I would be preparing on the weekend for that Bible study in the prisons. And I had this practice, and I saw what happened. God began to just elevate my career. You would say, oh no, you're just naturally smart, this naturally happened. That's not it. That's not it. I saw it with my own eyes, how God would put me in the right place at the right time. I started working in an area called molecular electronics uh, uh, because I had this idea. I read something from, a, from a, a journal and I had this idea to make this molecule that, that might end up as a switching device. And I presented a bunch of topics to the student and my first student said, I want to work on that topic. And that was the wildest topic. I thought, you want to work on that? You sure? Well, anyway, she wanted to work on that. That turned out to just explode and make me famous. And it ended up, I was working in an area called nanotechnology. Nobody had heard of it at the time. So that when nanotechnology came out, people would say, what is that? And they'd say, well, that guy Tour does nanotechnology. And I was sitting right there. It's like, I just found this in my lap. God dropped this in my lap. The scripture here says, if anyone 
serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, the Father will honor him. You want to do the very best thing that you can do for your career, for your company, for your life? You serve Jesus and the Father of heaven and earth will honor you. This is exactly what happened to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They took a stand that was hard, that was unusual, that was different. They didn't have to do that. They could have just quietly said, well, God will understand. But they took a stand and look what happened. Look what happened. I have many regrets in life, but I have no regrets for having stood for the Lord. My biggest regrets in life were from occasions where I could have taken a stand for the Lord and I didn't. I just sat quietly. Those are my biggest regrets as I look back over my life. Not for the stand that I've taken for the Lord. You take a stand for the Lord and your career can propel far more than you ever imagined. Because remember, it is the Father who honors you. This is the one who lives outside of space and time, who sees the future, who knows that an area is going to burst forth called nanotechnology, who sets you right there to be set up for this and ready for this. He does this. I have every big area in my career has come by something like this, where I didn't deserve it. It just dropped right on me. Some students said I wanted to work, they wanted to work on something. I said, you really want to work on that? And, you know, I would just make some wild comment. Like, all right, if you're going to work on that, within two years, I want to be one of the top groups in the world working in that subject area. Okay. And I walk away thinking, how are we ever going to do that? But I would just leave them with that. And then within a couple of years, we're the top in the world in that area. I see this. How does this happen? If you say, oh, you know, you're so smart. I'm not. I'm not. This is why people who've known me before I was a believer, they can't believe it. I mean, how did this happen? It's because the Father honors me. You take stands to serve the Lord. You serve Jesus and the Father will honor you. Do you know what I am doing right now? At this moment, I am building my career. At this moment, I am building my career in chemistry. Because when I prepare for these classes, when I teach these classes, there is blessing that just drops on me. Because it says the Father will honor Him. And what I envision in my mind is the Father God coming into the throne room and saying, Angel, stand back. I've got to bless Him. Boom. Boom. This is what He does. He just drops blessings. This is what Jesus promises. There are blessings. Those three men were elevated in that kingdom, it says, the the last verse in in, in Daniel chapter 3, because of the stand that they took. Because of the stand that they took and the witness they were making. That witness to King Nebuchadnezzar, as we get into chapter 4, is going to change King Nebuchadnezzar's life. To change the heart of a king is very difficult. Very difficult. It is different 
preaching to the masses of people. Every life has the same value before God. Every life. No matter what the position is. But you go into a poor neighborhood. You go into a prison. You can see conversions, lots of them. You go into the upper administration of a university. Or you go into the, 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 the upper parts of companies. And you try to see conversions among men and women in those settings. It's much fewer. Much, much fewer. But this is where many of you are destined to be. Many of you are destined to be in the upper segments of companies. In the upper segments of academics. This is where you're going to be. Conversions of heart are not easy to see. You pray years for conversions of heart to occur. I remember Rick Smalley, the Nobel Prize winner. He is the one who recruited me to Rice 17 years ago. And he, wasn't, he used to make jokes about Christianity and Christians. He would, always, he would often say things just to, just to twist, twist me a bit. But we were friends, but he'd say things just to bother me a bit. And then the Lord started working in his life. And I saw a man who was very smart, Nobel Prize winner, and, and, and so much he had developed in his life. But his personal life was an utter mess. And he used to say to me, I don't know, how, how, do, you, how do you and your wife just flow together like this? How, do you, how come your kids like you? I mean, how does this happen? You know, as believers, we can take this for granted, but it, people of the world see this and they're amazed by this thing. And, and, uh, um, and then he, he used to get with me, he says, tell me, how is it that you run your research group? He's asking me, how come everyone in your research group seems happy? You know, he was seeing things. And then a couple years before his passing away of leukemia, he came to the Lord. He came to the Lord in a profound way. Gave his life to the Lord. I've seen these sort of things. God will put you in places to share with those who are not easy to share with. Who don't instantly open up their hearts and say, yes, I want to invite Jesus in my life. Tell me about this. And there are stands that we take. There are blessings that come. Turn to, turn to uh, uh, John chapter 14. So turn over two chapters. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we're going to start reading from verse 21. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Look what he says. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Go down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This is the measure by which this is the measure by which Jesus assesses our love for him. You say, well, you can't measure love. Oh, God does. He measures love in this way. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 
by the keeping of His commandments, by the keeping of His Word, is how He measures our love. How, how would you like to measure love? How would you like to do it? If I say, I love you. If I say it ten times, does that mean I love you ten times more than anybody else? No. So it's obviously not based just on the number of times that I say, I love you. God assesses our love by our keeping of His commandments. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And what's the result of that? And my Father will love him. And we will come to him. Think about this. We will come to him. Who is this we? This is Jesus and his Father. Trouble yourself no longer. We are coming to you. That's what Jesus says. If we keep his word, he comes to us. Him and His Father. It says, And we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. We will just move right in with Him. This is the greatest blessing in life. He doesn't promise us great material blessings in the New Testament. He does not. Jesus said, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Jesus had no home. It says in 1 Timothy, it says, with food and with clothing, will that you sh- with that you shall be content. If you have food and clothing, you are to be content. If you have an apartment, if you have a home, if you have a house, that's an added blessing. That's never promised to you in the New Testament. What's promised to you as a believer in the New Testament is food and clothing. You will not starve and you will have, you will have clothing. That's the promise. But now what he says is we will make our abode with him. These men, Daniel and his three friends, they had an abode with God. They could go to God and they could pray. They had fellowship with God because the essence of punishment is separation from him. That's what punishment is. Punishment is separation from him. Blessing is his presence just moved in with us. Blessing is His presence moved in with us. That's what blessing is. It is His presence moved in with us. He makes our abode. He makes His abode with us. His abode with us. That is what blessing is. That's the promise. If you will serve God, God of heaven and earth will honor you. If you will keep His commandments and do His will, it says that the Father will love you And Jesus and His Father move in with you. And they have this fellowship with you. This is what happens. This is the result of a relationship with God. This is the manifestation of that relationship. It comes out of a depth of relationship. The presence of God comes out of such a depth of relationship. And this is exactly what we see, this elevation of these three young men. Your career will elevate if you honor God. You keep His commandments and you serve Him. You have an active ministry. Going to church is not serving. Serving God is where you are doing something active in that church. Where you are doing something active in a ministry. That is serving. When you graduate and you no longer have the campus groups through which to serve, you're going to have to learn how to serve. And in many facets of that, that service is going to come within the confines, within the outreach of a local church. 
So you'll have a local body of Christ. And this is why it's important at this age to learn to appreciate the body of Christ. Because this is your connection to believers. You're not going to have a crew and you're not going to have agape and all these other little things around you. It's going to come through the body of believers in a local church and learning how to serve in that capacity. And there's going to have ministries. And rather than starting a ministry willy-nilly on your own, it's often much better to be able to, to partake with others, to be able to have fellowship with others within a body of Christ. You want to bring a ministry in? If you can bring it in through a local church, it's often much better because immediately you can get others interested in it as well and it can build much faster. You can have the resources of the local church and you can have the covering and the blessing, the spiritual covering, which is huge because as soon as you start out in ministry, the devil is going to confront you. And when you have the covering, the spiritual covering of the body of Christ, understanding what leadership is, then that ministry can grow. And this is what you do. I was, I, I was just uh, hearing about a man who, whom I, I, I had known. But he is a pastor of, of the Arabic church in town. He was teaching two, Arabic, two, two services, uh, one in English and one in Arabic, at the Arabic church every week. And now he's got someone to help him uh, uh, with some of these. And he was doing multiple services and doing all the preaching himself. And he's the pastor. And he's the head of infectious diseases at MD Anderson. So he's got all of this. He's the pastor of the Arabic church, doing all the preaching in multiple services. And he just happens to be the head of infectious diseases at MD Anderson. And I was with this family who's here from uh, um, Egypt at MD Anderson. And they said that this man would come and check on them every day. And he wasn't even their doctor. He just heard that they were from Egypt. They were from the Middle East. And they would check, he would check on them often twice a day. And uh, uh, you just see the outreach of this man. Here is a believer that is active in service. And what is God doing? God is blessing him. And then, if that's not enough, he started this ministry in the Middle East where he raises up doctors to go throughout many of these Middle Eastern countries and to to, to, uh, volunteer their services. This is a man deeply involved in ministry and God has blessed his work. You want to excel in your work? Do you? Serve the Lord. If you want to excel in your work, you serve the Lord. And it will bring excelling in your work. Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you so much for your word and the truth of it. And I pray, O Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you get hold of these young people's hearts today. That they would understand what it is to serve the Lord. And that they would see their careers propel because of the blessing that the God of heaven and earth has showered in upon them. Father, I pray that you work in their lives to dedicate their hearts to you. Father, that they would take your word and make it a rich part of their lives. And Lord, as you bring them up in academic environments and in the corporate environments, Father, I pray that you would cause them to have great influence but that that influence would come as they, as they walk in obedience to your word and as they walk in service to our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, work in their lives, I pray. The grace and the blessing be poured out in their young lives. And Lord, for those here who do not know you, open up their hearts, I pray, and draw them to Jesus. And I commit this to you for the glory of our Lord. Amen.